You open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 15. So far in Luke 15, Jesus is being confronted by the religious establishment of his day. And they are furious at him for receiving sinners. In response, he tells a series of three parables, three stories, and that each one having the same outline. Lost, sought, found, celebrated, and then finally explained. Each one grew in value. We had one sheep out of 100, which is 1%. In one coin out of 10, which is 10% of this woman's life savings. <coughs> and now, as we opened last week, we have one son out of two, which is 50%. Now, no matter the percent or the value that we as humans ascribe to these stories, each one has the same point. There is joy in heaven and with God when sinners repent. The prodigal son is by far the most memorable and the most elaborate of these three stories. This is probably the most well-known parable that Jesus has ever told. It is split into three parts with the, the three main characters. First, the lost son, which we looked at last week. This week, we're looking at the lost, loving father. And the next week, we're going to look at the legalistic son. Last week, we saw how, how he went into the depths of the pragmatic. He walks up to his father and says, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me what's, what's due to me. And he ends up going away to a far country, squandering his wealth, and ends up joining himself to a family that doesn't even care to feed him the sloth that pigs eat, and living with these same vile creatures. This week, we'll look at the loving father. And we'll see that the, the drastic contrast between the repentance of the religious and the Pharisees and the repentance of the religion of our Heavenly Father. Stand, I've entitled this message, The Joy of the Lord, Part 3, The Loving Father. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're going to work our way through the actual parable. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me a share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But 
while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine, this my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the word of God that stands in authority and judgment over us as it points us to our gracious heavenly Father. Let's go to the Lord again. Father, we thank you for who you are for being the loving Father that embraces us in our faith. Father, I pray that you would you speak through a weak servant of myself to reveal your gospel and your word to your people. To your precious sons and my precious. Amen. Let me see There was a guy when I was working in the prison that I was counseling, and we were talking about, the, not the actual counseling session, but he would just come to my office and talk, and we would talk a lot about God. And finally he told me that a God that would forgive him for all the things that he had done would be completely unjust. And I looked at him and I kind of smiled. And I said, if he, you're exactly right. If he hadn't sent Christ to pay for it, he would be completely unjust. Our God loved, loved us so much that he sent his son. That we can be redeemed. The picture, what we're going to see in our, our picture of the loving Father is that of a, of a God who is standing, waiting, and even running, searching for his children. Let's begin. First point, sought. We're looking at verse 17 through 20a. But... When he came to himself, now it's important to note, we're just going to stop right there. When he came, it's important to note that he came to himself, but as R.C. Sproul says, he did not come by himself. This coming to happened and he and was revealed much in the same way that Simon's confession was of who Christ was. If you remember back in Matthew, he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that leads any sinner to repentance. And as we'll see, this young man is about to have true repentance. The father is re-entering the story in the mind of this lost son. The son had no doubt done all that he could do in the previous years where he was squandering his wealth to keep his father completely outside of his mind. And yet now, when he's at his low point, when he's at those rock bottom. The text says he came to. And now that he has tasted of what the world has to offer, he remembers his father's goodness. This is the same story that we have as Christians. We think we can live this life without God. We think we can live it by our own strength or by our own perseverance. But when we come to, we realize that how much better our father is than any of the trash this world can offer us. Hexen Bay says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish with hunger. I understand this 
this part of the parable, and one of the reasons it takes so long to preach some of these parables, and preach in general, that's why I take 70 sermons and only halfway through Luke, is because we have to get into the original context of what we're dealing with. In the, that day, there were two types of workers that a wealthy person would have. You'd have slaves, and you'd have hired workers. Now, slaves were those that were had part of the, of the family. They, were, they, they lived in there, they were fed by the family, they were typically treated well back then. They, they, they were not seen as equals, but they were treated with respect. Now, hired hands, hired workers, were day laborers. They were kind of, I remember when we were getting ready to move at, in Phoenix, and we drove into a, uh, into a Home Depot with a U-Haul, and all of a sudden I had 15 people running after me trying to get hired. What this is talking about hired workers. They were day laborers. They had no part in the family. They had no steady income. They were hired for individual jobs here and there, but they had no connection to the family at all. As it goes to the family, the slave was actually above the hired worker. So what does it tell us about this father? Remember, this father. He says, I, he, this, the son is remembering the father that even his hired servants. It's not the slaves, that's the hired workers, had an abundance of bread, had an abundance of food. It tells us that the, the Father was gracious and merciful to all. The Father fed the lowly when he, was, when he was not even required to do so. And not only did he feed them, but he fed them abundantly. His, his emotional push is turned to action. This, this son doesn't just stop with a, a thinking of, well, I can go back to my father. He actually moves that way. Look at verse 18. He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. Now, this is evidence of true repentance. We're going to keep reading, but, but this right here is the evidence of true repentance. True repentance realizes that our sin is against a person, but is first and foremost against God. It is against heaven. And he says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He continues, says, For I, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. So this is the first part where he was, I, I say he was sought, but he was sought by the Holy Spirit that was pushing him back in the direction of the Heavenly Father. But we have to get back into the context here. The Pharisees, would have, who are hearing this, would be agreeing completely. They were fully on board with this story up to this point. They would have been offended at this young man of how he treated his father. In that day, if a son were to do that, and they were to split his inheritance, they would actually, what they would do is they would literally have a funeral for that son because he was dead to them. That's what he was asking to be. So Jesus finally making a point that they can agree with. Is he, is he really finally doing that? That's the question. That this is what Pharisaic repentance looks like. The religious repentance looks like going back, turning from your sin, which is repentance, and, and you, you work to make your way back and pay back what's owed. That's, what, that's the idea of what's going to happen here. He's saying, I'm going to go back, don't treat, treat me as a slave, treat me as a hired worker, and I'm going to work my day's wages until I can get enough wealth back to pay my father back. Because my father was so generous to the hired workers, eventually, a few years from now, I'll be able to work my way back into the family where I can at least be a slave. 
That's what this young man is looking at doing. And this is the, what the Pharisees are sit, shaking their heads saying, yep, that's exactly what they should do. The offense that he has caused to, to this, this father, this landowner, this, this, per, this person that is wealthy was unexcusable. These Pharisees, just like the, the, the sheep and, and with the coin, and to this point are agreeing with Jesus. The offense that the son had brought was too great. He couldn't, should not come, he had to come back groveling, and he should have no privilege in the family. And possibly one day make enough money and the hired hand to pay back what he wasted. This is the mindset of the Pharisees. This is the mindset of all world religions. Think about karma. Everyone in this room has heard of karma, which originated in an Eastern religion, an Indian religion. Many have adopted it from our culture into our own words. We, we say things that, well, that, he's going to get his. Well, that'll come back to get him. Look what the Encyclopedia Britannica says about karma. Because karma is an Indian religion and philosophy. The universal causal law by which good and bad actions determine the future mode for an individual existence. What does that mean? It means basically what you're going to do today is going to get you back tomorrow. And most, a lot of people, maybe not in this room, maybe in this room, I have no idea, but a lot of people have adopted this Eastern religious idea into their own mind. They wouldn't necessarily call it part of their Christianity, but they've adopted it in their own mind. Well, he does this, well, he's going to get his. Or, can we just say what it is? It's false religion. It's a pharisaical religion. But God's grace is what, this is what I want you to see. God's grace is is better. God's grace is better than any Pharisaic religion, than any false religion. Which leads to our next point. Found. 20b through 21. But, while he was a long way off, the father saw him. This, this is the middle of the day. We know that because the father can see a long way off, right? Why well, was a long way off the father's So this is the middle of the day. The father's out and he's looking. He's out, out by the gate. Now, why is he out there? Why isn't he doing his job? Why isn't he working? Why is he managing the business? What is he doing that he would see his son outside the gate and notice him? Well, it points to the fact that he was looking. He hadn't given up. He hadn't given up on his son. We don't know how long this had been. But his father had not given up. John MacArthur said, gives two reasons why he may have been doing this. One, he wants his son to know that he is seeking him. And two, he wants to protect his son from the ridicule of the villagers. The whole village would have known what this son did. And it, they could have even wanted to kill him for it. Because as, as he squandered that wealth, they squandering some of the wealth from the town. So he goes out to meet them and even protect them. The massive offense that would have come from what his son had done would have been unforgivable in the ancient world. Yet this father, our Lord in the parable, does not lose his children. Continue, says, his father saw him and felt compassion. And ran and embraced him, kissed him. Compassion is better translated here. He was filled with love. 
He was filled with love and he ran. Now, for a nobleman or a wealthy person, a landowner, however you want to say it in those days, they, to, for them to run would have been crazy unheard of. Running was something peasants did. Running was not something that noblemen did. And they wore these long robes. And so for someone to run, they would have to hike up their robe into their belt. We've heard of this when they, we talked about girding up your loins for service. We talked, looked at that in Philippians. And we've, if you go back to the, the Passover uh, text and the, in Exodus, it talks about that. You, to, to literally tuck your robe into your belt so that you can run. Because if you don't, you're basically wearing a long dress and you can't run very well in it. They, they, so, and so th this was something that, that they were not allowed to do. In fact, it was so ingrained in the Middle East culture that even up until the 1800s, in the Aramaic translation of the Bible, or Arabic translation of the Bible, they would not put the word run because it, it was too offensive to say that God was run with his joke. They, put, they would shuffle his feet. They put he would he would he would move quickly, but they refused to use the word run. It, it's amazing when you go back to the Greek word here. Do you want to know what the word run means? It means to run. But it was so ingrained in their culture that they could not do it. At this point, the, the the Pharisees are standing back and saying, "Wait a second, this would never happen. No landowner who had been a." Offended this much. No landowner would run in general, but the window was offended this much. Would never, would never be caught running to the person that offended him. That's crazy. But not only did he run, which they're stepping back and saying, whoa, what's going on? He embraced and kissed. Now remember, verse 13 said that he went to a far country. He's not close by, right? So this is a long hike back after living with pigs. This man did not smell good. This man was dirty and disgusting. And yet his father, filled with love, embraced this nasty, smelly man who had offended him and wished death upon him. Bro, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. Do you see it? We are that prodigal son. We are the disgusting, nasty, smelly person filled with the world that when we come to him, our father doesn't say, wait a second, go get a shower. He embraces us as his children and he kisses us. This is the gospel. He doesn't, we, we, we have offended God by our sin and our apathy toward him. And yet, he embraces us. He doesn't keep us at arm's length and wait till we get it figured out. He doesn't keep us on the outside. He doesn't send his slaves to greet us. He embraces us as his children. The moment we come to and repent, the moment we come to him, we are his children. But many times, that seems too good to be true. Right? And that was the case with this son. He pushes back confused and starts saying to, to what he had prepared. He says to his father in verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Often, often though we, we have been cleansed by the grace of God, we still see and remember the wretched filth that we have in our life, in our old life and in our life right now. 
Wait, we see ourselves, we see the sin that we commit. <clears throat> Pride, arrogance, but I don't care what sin it is. We know our sin better than anyone else in this room could know. Right? We know how filthy we are. And so it's hard for us to understand that our Father is loving us as if we never sinned. We talked about it in Sunday school. Justification. Just as if I never sinned and just as if I always obeyed. That means that God can never be happier with you than he is right now. And if God can never be happier than you, with you than he is right now, then we have to wrap our minds around us. It's hard for us to let go of, of that and to trust God and his word. Ephesians 2, verse 8 says this, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing is a gift of God. This son couldn't believe that. He was being accepted after all that he had done, but he was. This running in general would have caused for anger for the Pharisees, but running to this heathen and embracing him after the offense was unforgivable. They would have been furious at hearing this story. Which brings us to our next point. And so far we see he was lost, he was sought, he was found, and now he was celebrated. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants. Now, his father stops at mid-sentence. Do you notice that? He had a lot more prepared. He had, he had more than he wanted to say. He said, make me a, a hired hand. Made, he, he was not finished with his spiel that he prepared in the mirror. The father stops in mid-sentence and turns to his servants, his slaves. Now remember, those were above what he was asking to be made. He turns to his slaves and he says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on. The filth that this son came with would be covered by the best robe. Now this best robe in that culture would have been the robe the eldest son would have worn as well. Now that's going to be really important next week. I'm going to say that for now. It would have been the, the robe that the, the eldest son would have been wore at his wedding. And yet, he's taking it and he's placing it on this child. R.C. <laughs> Sproul noted that no one has ever entered heaven without being robed in the righteousness of Christ. The Father's best is, is placed upon us. The righteousness of Christ is the Father's best. And it's draped over us, covering up and cleansing us from the filth of the world. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a, a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You see, this is what happens when we come to Christ. Not only do we come to him and we, we think we're going to be put on the outside, but we're made his child. We're given the best. We're given the righteousness of Christ. We are, we are cleansed from all sin. That's the picture that we are, are given. He takes the best that he has and he places it on his son. He doesn't wait for him to get a bath. He doesn't spray perfume or sanitizer on him. He drapes over the son as he is. Just as he is. Text continues. And he put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Now what in the world does that mean? What does this signify? 
the, 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 this would have been the declaration of family. The ring would have been the signet ring. And when the, the, this son had, had said to his father he wished him dead, this, his signet ring would have been destroyed. All this stuff would be gone. So where did he get this signet ring? The signet ring of brother brother. Once again, this is going to be really important next week when we look at the, the legalistic son. He takes the signet ring of his elder brother. In, in this story, the, the elder brother is the legalistic son. But in our story, our elder brother is Christ. Do you see that? We get the full, recon, the full reconciliation that God has given us. We get the signet ring. So much so that, that it tells us that when the church, that when the, what the church is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. That's the signet ring, y'all. We get the signet ring, and then we get shoes. What's the shoe? There's having shoes. Slaves didn't wear shoes. Slaves were, went around barefoot. Having shoes, the signet ring, the robe, this would have been the full, the full reconciliation and the declaration to all that he is my son. This is what Christ does for us the moment we come in. Look at verse 23. I bring the fat calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. Now, once again, we have to get back into that culture. Meat is was not a staple in that society. The fattened calf was one that was raised specifically for special events. For dignitaries or sacrifice or a wedding. They would only raise one at a time and it would be held in wait for this specific specific or special event. A single calf would feed up to 200 people. This was a celebration before the entire town. All were welcome to join in the celebration of the lost. This is the same picture that we have in the previous two stories. Look at verse 7 of that same chapter. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And verse 10, just so I tell you that there is joy before God, the angels of God, over the sin, one sinner who repents. The Pharisees at this point, let's take a step back and remember who he's talking to. The Pharisees at this point are indignant, furious. Not only was his father in the story disgracing himself by reuniting with his wayward son, but he was restoring him to full sonship. He has passed over all the sins, the, the wretchedness of the son, and he has celebrated him as a prince. While this, the Pharisee stands indignant, we are given a picture of his celebration in heaven. Over this one sinner who repents. And look what, what the father gives us the reason. For this, my son is dead <coughs> and is alive again. Who's lost and is found and he began to celebrate. But when sinners repent and turn to Christ, it is more than a mere mortal decision. It is, it is the resounding victory of the cross. When any time someone repents and turns to Christ, puts their faith in him as Lord, we see the victory of the cross. It's the proclamation that dead men have kept, come to life. 
Ephesians 2, it was read earlier by Curly, but I'm going to read it again. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's all of us, not some of us, it's all of us. In which we once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work, and the son of disobedience. Didn't think it would help you? Well, look at verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Jesus, or Paul here, says that it's all of us. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's the best part. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace we have been saved. When you come to Christ, you come to yourself. But you do not come by yourself. We have such a loving Father that he held nothing back from his children. He did not even hold his own son back. He sent his son so that we, he would stand in our place. You see, the justice of God demands that there is a payment for our sins. And the only one in all of the cosmos that could do it is God himself. As he sent his son, he very soon will be in Christmas in, in the form of a baby, ultimately die on the cross so that you and I could be reconciled and given full pardon and brought in and restored as children of God. Listen, there is no amount of filth, offense, or sin that keeps you from your Lord. Only your unwillingness to come to. The only thing that keeps us. If you would come to him, if the Spirit's working in you or on you this morning, repent and be welcome into the family of God. Let's pray. Father, you are good and worthy to be praised. We thank you that you don't treat us as a slave or as a hired hand that you Welcome us as family. And come to us as a loving Father. And establish Father, I pray that you're working with anyone in this room. And your spirit would lead them to come to to seek repentance, to understand their sin. And to seek God as their sin. Father, we love you. Send your precious sons in my